0: Awesome. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 222, 222, and I'm Ari Mizel. And I'm Nick Sonnenberg. And Nick, where are you today? Now I'm in Netanya.
1: <laughs> I was in Eilat and Jordan, and uh, now we move back up
0: north. So nice if you. any of you are following us on social media, then you will have seen a really great picture of Nick covered in mud uh, at the Dead Sea. Yeah. And- <laughs> Not skipping. A beat. He was. He's on the phone in the picture and he's on the phone with me. Um, we're getting things done. We're halfway around the world and Nick is covered in mud.
1: So Yeah, we were, we were doing our uh,
0: book in a box call for the book coming out in October. My second book with book in a box, but our first book as a company will be coming out in October. And what's, uh, what's our working title right now?
1: Year one is the title right now.
0: Year it's one. a you know, step-by-step journey of
1: you know, how we built what we built.
0: Yeah, so I, I mean, it's basically, this book is going to be like Lean Startup on steroids. We're going to show what we've done right, what we've done wrong, and how you can do it too. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So the first thing I want to tell everybody about, oh, oh, actually, by the way, today is actually the episode where you get to hear our interview with Damon John, the shark, Damon John. So uh, thank you for all your patience with that, because it was supposed to be two episodes ago, but scheduling just messed with us. So Damon was an awesome interview. So, uh, but the first thing I want to share, this is a really random one, but uh, Nick, you know you know who Noah Kagan is? Who? Noah Kagan? Yeah. Noah Kagan. The, the growth guy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's the guy who started uh, AppSumo. Um, uh-huh. So he's like the growth hacking guy, and he's, he's always been, like, he always does things in a cool way, I have to say. So uh, he sent out an email to people and he's like, I'm traveling to these three cities and um, I'd love to meet up with people who are there, and at like your favorite coffee spot, whatever. Uh, and a lot of people do that. I think he did it in a very clever way, which is that he sent a Google form to like, I guess everybody on his list kind of. And it's like, where are you? Who, like, who are you? Where are you? And um, what is your favorite like lunch spot? And I think that's actually a really good way to do it because you know, one of the things people always talk about, well, not, a lot of people talk about this where like you go to a city and you're not really sure everyone that you know that's there that you should meet up with. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like, put it, first of all, this is like an opt-in thing, right? Because the people, presumably, the people who add in their names are people who actually want to meet with you, uh, and then you have a list that you can sort by uh, by location. <laughs> I thought it was, cu- I just thought it was clever.
1: Yeah, that's that's cute. I mean, like when I go traveling, like that's why on on Facebook I always update the status, like uh, NYC to Tel Aviv, and then you find out like a bunch of people, hey, I'm going to be there at the same time.
0: Yeah. But even, right. But which is great. Um, but even then you still have to depend that they're going to see it and actually comment on it and stuff. So I just, this is,
1: this is cool. Um, One of the idea original ideas of Calvin was to be able to put in your calendar, like, Hey, in two weeks, I'm going to be in Tel Aviv and then match people's or people's calendars say that they're going to be in the future. Yeah. You only, as to your point, like when you do the Facebook thing, it's like when you're at the airport and then people will miss it. Right. So, you know, this is like giving you like a two week head start, or wh- whenever you add it to your calendar.
0: Exactly. Uh, I want to just let everybody know that we are on Thunderclap this week, so when you hear this podcast, uh, it will be a couple of days left for the Thunderclap campaign. We're already reached uh, over 100 supporters, so the campaign has go- is live. But on Friday, June seventeenth, my new book, which is called The Art of Less Doing, which is on Amazon, will be available for ninety nine cents on Kindle for 24 hours only so on the 17th you can buy it for 99 cents and i would very much appreciate we both much very much appreciate if you would buy it if you could leave a review but we're hoping to get to amazon bestseller status and if you can join the thunderclap campaign you'll help us get the word out even more we're already at a social reach of two million three hundred twenty eight thousand two hundred and thirty seven people which is just astounding so yeah it's really really good yeah it's awesome uh okay so the next one this is a this is a company called Omni, and it's not the first attempt at this kind of a thing, uh, but I have to say, I think this is really well done. So, Omni, Omni is on demand storage and delivery. So, we've seen this before. There's a lot of companies that do this. Where, um, What's the one you mentioned, Nick? Was Makespace or something? Oh, yeah,
1: Makespace, when they come to your house and pick up your
0: stuff and put in storage. Right. Okay. So, but what this one does is it's much more individual. So, you literally take a picture of whatever you want or not even take a picture. I'm sorry. You just like ask you have them arrive and they come with this very, very large bag and you just put all your stuff in it. It could be a pair of shoes. It could be a bike. It could be uh, a blender. It can be a bunch of clothes, whatever you want. They take it. They photograph each item individually, like professionally photographed and then they store it for you. And then you have, and it's like 50 cents per item to store it. Wow. That's cheap. Including the photographing, Yeah. And then you have uh, basically you have an app with a picture of each thing that's in your thing. And anytime you want it, you just choose the one you want and they deliver it. Wait, what's it called? Omni. Uh, The website is beomni.com. Really cool. So it's like it's 50 cents for standard items, $3 for larger items like bikes, skis, golf clubs. And if you want to just fill a box with stuff and you don't want them to photograph it, like it's secret or whatever, then it's $7 and 50 cents for like the box.
1: I mean, I know a lot of people that had this idea for like wardrobes, you know, especially in New York, like you don't have that much space. So in the summertime, yeah. you don't need your fur coats or your ski jackets. So Yeah,
0: but this is so I think the point of this is that it's, it's like easy and, and specific and individual enough that you could like, even if it's something that you need one day a week, like you could use them for this. Mm hmm. You know, so it, cause I think that's part of the problem with storage. I mean, when, why it's such a good business is people put stuff in there and they just try to forget about it and they just keep paying their bills. So it's pretty cool. Very cool. And it's very nicely designed. Okay. So there's an article on, uh, barking up the wrong tree about FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. And this is something that I've talked about with people forever. And fear of missing out is one of the things that makes people say like, oh, I can't keep up with Facebook and email and this and, and Twitter and like a uh, feed reader and everything. And the fear of missing out is just that. It's like, you you know, God forbid you miss something. And a lot of people will tell you that you kind of have to like become okay with that if you're gonna sort of exist in this technological world. But the the sum up they were saying was that FOMO starts with sadness. So for the best way to feel better and stop the problem before it starts, you can start working on just being happier basically and more content where it's not your like you're, you're, you're seeking out this sort of like dopamine rush from some external source um, social media makes it worse, which kind of makes sense. Happiness is about attention. So focus on the good and you will feel good. And gratitude is essential. So really what this is saying is that if you're feeling like you need to stay on top of a hundred different websites and 20 different podcasts, and it's stressing you out that you're not, then there's probably like a deeper sadness that you have to deal with. And you're trying to fill the void with those. So similar to that, like, uh, from, from the days when I was a trader,
1: the regret of missing an opportunity feels worse than you know if you were to have taken it and lost money. So if yeah. if you know what I mean? So like if if you were gonna do something and then for whatever reason you just changed your mind and then it it would have made you some money, that that negative feeling is stronger than had you have done it and you would have lost a hundred grand or whatever it is,
0: it's not on the same level, you know, in terms of intense feeling. So the, there's another way to put that too. And by the way, I think you had that experience recently, didn't you?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Regarding an investment. Um, but there's a, another way to put that, which is that if your neighbor suddenly buys a Ferrari one day, his happiness will last half as long as your bitterness. Huh? Yeah. So it's similar. Yeah. So... Hopefully our neighbor doesn't get a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And then the last, oh no, two more. So the, the one is that there is a, a website called tracks. And by the way, I didn't even know this is a domain extension, but it's tracks.today. Have you ever heard of the um, app zombie run? No. So it was actually, it was a great idea. I, I tried it. And basically it's for people who go running or, you know, for jogging for exercise and you listen to the app and there's a story to it. It's like you're running away, uh, you know, the, the helicopter crashed and you have to get away from the zombies. And if you slow down, you hear the zombies kind of get louder and catch up to you. <laughs> so it's really smart. Um, and it's, geo, it's, you know, it's geolocated. So it's like you have to get to the next corner. like that kind of thing. So this uh, tracks is that, but there's a bunch of other sort of stories to it. So it's, it's running with stories that make you run, you know, so, uh, growlers are behind you, bang of a gunshot going right by your, ears, <laughs> in the middle of the war for survival. Um, and so it's like, if you slow down, they'll be like, no, don't slow down. Go, go, go. You know, like, so I think it actually makes it really fun. I thought it was, I think it's pretty cool. So that's tracks. Uh, and then the last thing is this is a random one, but it's an article on Mercola called popcorn. Good or not so good. Do you like popcorn? Nick? Um, if it's good popcorn, but yeah, if I go to the movies, I
1: love popcorn with a ton of butter on it, even though it's yeah. really unhealthy.
0: Okay. Well, okay. So first of all, I, I, I quite enjoy popcorn. I just like the crunch of it. and I likes popcorn quite a bit. Basically, what this article is saying is that I, I love it because Mercola, Dr. Mercola, I think, is, is a really good source of information, but I, I don't agree with some of his views on things like um, treatments and stuff like that. But his articles are very informative. Um, so I love it because this article, essentially, he's like, it's a long article and it begins with essentially saying like, if you're going to be low carb, you shouldn't have c- popcorn. Having said that popcorn is good for you because of this, 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 and this. So, uh, it's actually quite good for you. There's, there's, um, They've associated popcorn nutrients with regulated blood sugar, improved digestion, weight loss, reduced cholesterol levels, and cancer prevention.
1: I mean, I'm shocked at that. I would have thought that it's horrible for you.
0: No, and it really depends on how it's made. I think partly like when you go to the movie theater, believe it or not, a lot of times they're using coconut oil to cook it, which is great. That's how I would make it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's polyphenols, it's antioxidants, um, it's you know, very low calories, what it is. When and you go to the movie theater, you're getting uh, coconut oil? Typically, yeah, that's how they do it. Um, It's one of the reasons it tastes so good. But they said that it's how it's prepared is what makes all the difference. So air pop popcorn has fewer calories. However, uh, the preparation of even the highest quality organic popcorn can take it from nutritious to just another potentially health-wrecking snack option, such as microwave popcorn. So that's an obvious one, I would say. Microwave popcorn is definitely bad for you. And there's actually a condition called popcorn lung, which comes from the polyacrylates that they put in the um, accelerant in it. So you don't want to do that. The, the healthiest way you can make popcorn is get good popcorn kernels, put it in a pot with a tablespoon or two of coconut oil and turn it on. And that's the best. So there you go.
1: Cool. And I have one. Um, have you heard of Gboard by Google? The, Google? the new Google keyboard? Yes,
0: and I can't get it to work and I want it so badly. Oh my God.
1: It's awesome. I downloaded it yesterday and I fucking love it. Really? <laughs> what? It's just, first of all, it's like that app Swipes uh, that I never got into. But it's it works so well. It's like it's clearly a behavior change, and I'm still finding myself typing things. And then I remember, oh, I can just swipe. It's unbelievable how how accurate it is. I'm I'm shocked how accurate it is. And And it has what
0: what, you like just move your thumb around or what?
1: Yeah. You just literally move your finger without picking it up, like across the letters that you want. And it's like magically gets the word right. It's that's so cool. It's it's gonna take some practice, but it's it's awesome. And it has gifts and google search built into it so just like how in slack we do forward slash giphy like you could do basically the same thing within text yeah and, and also you could search google and then paste the link without having to leave text message
0: that's great yeah and i, I mean that, i mean that is a time for sure
1: yeah it's really really cool that's my big one of the we week. have
0: to look at my phone when you get back because when i try to load it it just closes basically so mm-hmm. very excited with that um <laughs> anyway okay well do we have any um you know any announcements you want to make well we're increasing the price july 1st
1: for the va service right yep it's going to be 149 dollars per month starting july 1st so if you're interested in signing up i would recommend doing it before july 1st and you we, we lock you into that monthly rate and the book is going really well and that's it i'm coming back to new york to see you on monday it's been a couple of weeks since i've seen you
0: yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to having you back. That's it on my side. Okay. Well, everybody enjoy the interview with Damon. You're going to love it. And We'll see you next week. Okay. So now we're speaking with Damon John, the shark, Damon John from the Shark Tank fame, as well as the founder of FUBU, the clothing company, and recently the author of The Power of Broke. So Damon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us.
2: Oh, thank you. my pleasure.
0: So uh, The Power of Broke, has, is there's going to be so many things in there that are applicable to what Nick and I do, and I want to spend a good amount of time with that. But I do want to start with some of your background, and I'm sure a lot of people know it, but I like hearing it. So, can you just tell us how you got started in design and how that ended up being Fubo? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. Um, you know, growing up in, uh where I did in Hollis, Queens, New York, a suburb of Manhattan and New York City, I was, uh, you know, in love with this new music that was really making its way onto the scenes, and you know, today we call it hip hop. Uh, at that time, it was called scratching and uh, rap and all type of things like that. And, uh, you know, this this music came with really, you know, uh, like all other music genres, it came with a, a way to walk, talk, and dress. But, um, you know, even also like other music, this also was the voice of the streets, but really, really raw. The kids didn't need to know how to play an instrument. So it really opened it up to more kids to be able to be street poets and share this information uh, that was not really being um, shared otherwise. And then I'm talking about the kids on the streets. And I'm talking about the kids that we never saw on the news that were doing uh, good things or, you know, unfortunately we did see them when they were doing bad things, but they were sharing all their hopes and their dreams about whether it's politics or what they want to wear or a girl they're in love with or... Uh, they were sharing all the dark sides of, of the, what was going on in the community, such as uh, you know, lately when many of us have seen the movie share Out of Compton, we didn't realize they were rolling through people's houses with tanks. Um, but this is the only way that they were communicating, and people in New York City or even in the streets of Japan and, uh, would find out what was going on. So I would call it our modern day version of um, uh, Twitter. Right? So, <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> so so this disruptive technologies was amazing to us and we started to support all these things that surrounded it such as clothing brands, you know, Adidas and Timberland and, and other brands like that. We started to hear though that the, the manufacturers and the designers of the clothes that we were wearing really didn't want this community wearing their clothes. It wasn't a community of just particular color. Um, but you had people of all colors and genders. You had Salt and Pepper, or the band Beastie Boys, or Run DMC, or whoever, we were wearing their clothes, and they didn't really want us to wear it. So, um, you know, I really got frustrated at that time, and, and several other young designers did, and I said, we're going to have to make some clothes that are going to be uh, some, something that people would love to wear, and something that the brand or the person making would be proud of the people wearing it. So I came up with this concept of Forest Bias. Um and I went through many renditions of it and I, I started selling really little hats on the street, uh, in Queens, you know, where there was a heavy population of people going back and forth to the stores and to the mall. And the good thing about doing that is that, you know, when you're physically out there handing your product out to people, selling it and trying to get them to to give you their hard earned money, it's okay to give away samples all you want. But you tell you tell a mother who has three kids to feed and she's on her way to work uh, that, uh you know, if she buys this product, it's going to make her son happy. She's only going to buy it if she really likes it Other person. And if not, you know, people in New York are pretty known for being very blunt and honest. They're going to tell you what they think about your hat and your mother at the same time. So um you get honest feedback. So, uh, you know, and, and that's how it really, really started. That's the roots of it, and, and we can go later on into some things that uh, transpired the rest of my life that, that helped me propel the brand to, to where it is today and, and, and helping me as well, personally.
0: Well, so one of the things that always struck me, it, it in itself, it wasn't that it was that like outlandish, but it just, it struck me when, you, I, I guess you, you got your mother to mortgage her house. That was a big, big startup, like a big way you funded it originally?
2: Uh, yeah. So,
1: man, talk about going all in on something. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, f- I feel like a pussy for, <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I mean, the long and short of it is that we were cranking uh, for quite some time. It was from 89 to 92 that I opened and closed for three times because I ran out of capital, but I only ran out of a thousand, four thousand, two thousand $2,000 because I was taking affordable steps. And it, the business would call me back into it because whether I saw somebody wearing some product and they said how badly they wanted it again or how I thought I found a better manufacturer and I found a better way to deliver my product, I started to improve on my process. Um, that's when I started to get the product out there in all these rap videos that started to exist because prior to that, when I first started, videos didn't really exist. And I started to put the product on these videos and, and, and I had only 10 t-shirts. I literally put 10 t-shirts on probably about 20 videos, uh, over the course of two years. Now, uh, trust me, I shot and it went to go to 60 videos, but you know, I kicked off on most of them, but I wasn't going to take no for an answer. I built up this, uh, this kind of like this vacuum of people anticipating the product. So now I go and say, all right, well, what do I need? I need distribution. Um, I take a couple of dollars, anything I can, maybe a thousand dollars and I stand I go on uh you know, standby or you know, my mother works for American Airlines and I go into Vegas and I get a small little hotel room mm-hmm. in Las Vegas with a couple of my friends and we hang up these T shirts in the corner and we invite all the stores to come over to the you know, to the to the hotel we're at for the trade show going on. And I wrote three hundred thousand dollars worth of orders. Now I come home and I don't have a way to finance these orders and I didn't have any people around me that understood financing and the banks weren't giving me any money because I, I didn't really even know I thought a business plan. My mother and I we had uh, we been we had our home and we were um, I was, you know, paying over the mortgage and she was too. But the value that my mother saw in me and, and I think that um, you know, for her to go and take out a hundred thousand dollar loan on our home which is absolutely amazing because, you know, to have people believe in you like that is amazing. But we also do have to think one thing. My mother was a little stupid. My mother saw $300,000 in orders and said, if, if you have $300,000 in orders and we take out a mortgage on this home, then here's what you're going to do. You're going to take the money and you're going to put it back into the home. Um, and that's that's where other people can learn from it because taking out a mortgage on the home at at, at you know, 4%, 6%, instead of giving away 50% of your company because you need $100,000 right. is, is, is night and day. But trust me, I've asked my mother for $5 in the past prior to that, and if I didn't have <laughs> anything back in, uh, you know, the guarantee that I'm going to give her $5 back, she wouldn't even talk to me. So she is absolutely brilliant, and trust me on it, but but I want people to walk away with a lesson and not go over to their parents, siblings, or loved ones and say, see, Damon, Damon's mother helped him. I knew what I had to show her. For her to make that commitment because um, she was putting a lot on the line and so was I. She felt she felt that that her risk was not that great and even in that case, because of my lack of financial intelligence and because of the fact that I didn't realize I was going to have to pay for raw goods 90 days ahead of time or pay for my staff, utilities and everything else, manufacturing the goods and that my receivables wouldn't be 30, 60 and 90 days The bad part of that story is even though I had the orders, I didn't have the understanding of financial intelligence. And I turned around and about a year later, I only had $500 left in the bank and uh, the mortgage was three months late and they were about to take our home. So there, there, there uh, there was still an inherent risk to what was going on.
1: Of course, yeah. I mean, but obviously, the three hundred thousand in, in in orders mitigates it to a, to a certain extent. But did you just learn the financial acuteness over over time with trial and error, or was there? Uh, did you have a mentor along the way? Like, what at what point did you start? You know, really understanding the financials of how the business yeah. Works? I
2: think that's, so. I think that's a great question. Um, I've I I've had a lot of mentors in my life. I believe that life is a series of mentors. I think the, only, the number one reason I'm here prior to anything that I possess myself is, is the ability to go out and find really amazing mentors. I learned that financial intelligence that later on, after the $300,000 in orders, as I was almost about to lose my house, um, we took out an ad in the New York Times looking for strategic partners to help manufacture the clothes. And um, Samsung actually gave us a call, and Samsung ended up partnering with me and my friends, who were the president of Samsung's textile division, uh, Norman and Bruce. I learned most of my uh, financial intelligence from them, and then I started operating, obviously, at a much higher level and having bookkeepers around and making mistakes, making big mistakes, uh, taking money and spending it on not even lavish things, you know, new investments such as other clothing brands where I don't roll up my sleeves like I did, uh, you know, in the earlier days and turn around and looking at $6 million go out of the window in two and three years. And, and that hurt. Um, and, and again, this all goes back to the power of broke because, You know, my mother wouldn't have invested in me if I didn't go out and prove the concept. Uh, Samsung wouldn't have invested in me until they saw that, okay, he had $300,000 in orders. He may have delivered $50,000 worth, $100,000 worth, but it all sold in two days. So wait a minute, we can multiply this around the country, around the world. So, I mean, it all goes back to showing that... Until you establish the fundamentals and or proof of concept of what you're doing, there's no reason to go throw a whole bunch of money at it because you're never going to, what are you going to do tomorrow, just do a billion dollars in business? The proof of concept is just doing ten thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, and and showing people that you are consistent with your your delivery and your brand and your product.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Nick and I are nodding at each other just because I mean, we, the, our current company, the Less Doing Virtual Assistance, we started with zero money, uh, and we were scalable and profitable from day one. But we had ten clients when we started. You know, right. we were able to prove it out, and we made a lot of mistakes that we learned from very quickly. So I, it's it's. I mean, it's really interesting to see that.
1: And I really love this concept of p- the power of broke. Ari, I don't even know if you know this, but uh, Damon, I was a, a high-frequency trader for eight years. And I, I quit to work on an, uh, on an app I was building called Calvin full-time. And what I did was I put uh, a certain amount of money from my savings to my checking. And I made a, choi- I made a decision that once I ran out of this money... Then I would have to figure out a job. And Ari, the month that we started the assistance, uh, I was—that was the last month I had of runway. I didn't know
2: that. From from that, yeah. so
1: the power of broke yeah. really did push me to figure out how how to make that fucking company work.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that happens often. I mean, think about it. You know, right before I got Samsung, I three months late on the mortgage. They were going to take my home, right? and I was out of money. But it was just I. The money set kind of like my limitation for me. I, you know, you were smart enough to say once you ran out of money, I didn't realize I was going to run out of money. because I thought a hundred thousand dollars was, you know, more money than any man's ever seen in his life. right thought <laughs> when I was a little kid. So well, um, in New York, hundred yeah, grand could go quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, so, so who, are, yeah, who
1: are your current? Who, so who are your current mentors? Who would you consider yourself? Who, who would you consider now
2: to be your mentor? Oh, well, I consider my, uh, I consider Jay Abraham, who is, uh, somebody that I, I, I went we, out and We love Jay. For.
1: Yeah, we, we're, we're yeah, working Jay. with Jay
2: right now on the less doing stuff. Yeah. So Jay, I, I went out and I saw him, you know, uh, maybe about 10 years ago. Or maybe about ten or eight years ago, and I was, you know, getting to a point where I was still notable, and I was going into the public speaking space, as well as going into the consulting space. I was starting to share my information. I said, "Who can I go after to share this information with me?" And I knew though that, you know, one thing's very important about having mentors in your life. Number one, they shouldn't have initially any interest in your business at all. Uh, number two, that you're very experienced in where they're going and, and what they can advise you on. They have to have more failures and successes. Number three, what can you do for them? It's not a one way street. And what can you do for them? And, you know, and, and I always say, listen, maybe a mentor is a, somebody who has a cause that they really like. And maybe they have a lot of money. You can't give them any more money. But maybe you could say, you know, in honor of going to dedicate. I'm going to go down there and work at the animal shelter for, you know, whatever, five hours a week to make sure I put in that time or community service or whatever the case is. So uh, Jay's one of them. My mother uh, is an old one will be another one of them. And believe it or not, you know, I, I think that a lot of times we don't even acknowledge the fact that our kids are mentors in a certain way. We will call them inspiring, but the way that technology is changing today, um, mentors tend to be younger than us, you know, sometimes, because you need to know what the hell is going on out there. And you don't know how to operate and work it. And I have a bunch of uh, kids that work for me that, that assist me, and it's a symbiotic relationship. And then my, my, parent, my daughters, you know, they're, they're, they're a mentor in a certain way.
0: Gotcha. I, I totally get that. I, I have I have four kids that are four and under, and they, yes, I, I I totally understand how they can be mentors, <laughs> and they are. Full. So okay, so now you know you've invested in over a dozen. Com- I mean, a, a pre- assuming from what we see on TV, you've invested in over a dozen companies on Shark Tank. You've obviously had all these successes. How how do you still instill the power of broken? You? Oh no!
2: Oh, that's 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 even easier today than ever before because it can't like I told you like. I ran through $6 million on one venture. I also lost $3 million on another venture where I nearly had to lose the money at the next time the power broke. So, um, yeah, Shark Tank, I think we... I I can... I don't know, maybe we have over 50 investments on Shark Tank alone. Um, So, if you look at my portfolio, I probably have over 80 investments. Now, that may sound like a lot, but, you know, if you look at the 20 or 30 percent of them that are, are really not doing well, you don't give them much time if you put the money in and... Some kind of just chugging along. So you really pay attention to the ones that either need life support for um, you know, their last sh- shot at it, or some ones that are doing really great. Um, so, so we deploy the money, you know, in regards to there's a lot of uh, um, levers and triggers that allow us to deploy the money when we upon when we agree upon our investments. You know, it could be all right. Well, um, you're gonna get a hundred thousand dollars, but. You know, 25 is for IT, 25 is for sales, 25 is for product, 25 is whatever. So um, you have to make it fit within there. Or it's, um, you know, when you hit a certain marker in sales, you activate this. Those are certain ways to do it. Um, uh, many ways to do it, but we don't just go and go, here you go, here's your money. And in the event we do that, that means that the person and the company is doing so well that they they have a again, I can mitigate my down, my risk and say, I know that I'm going to get the money back because, you know, listen, they got $500,000 dollars. I'm giving them a hundred thousand dollars. And, uh, you know, it, it's easy. And I want like a Kevin O'Leary deal, you know, I want, you know, I want 20% off of every, every uh, sale until I reach my mark and then my, my interest reduced to this amount or my, you know, my, 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 my percentage in the company. So there's a lot of ways to apply financial instruments to, to, to any of these investments. So,
1: so I have a bunch of questions for you. Um, let me just throw them at you. One is how, do you, how are you um, splitting up your time right now? Like where, where are you spending most of your time and, and energy?
2: Yeah, I'm spending most of my time on a plane, it seems like these days. (laughs) On
0: Jet Smarter, right? You're a fan of Jet
2: Smarter. Yeah, Jet jet Smarter, (laughs) if if I can. Um, And, you know, I spend most of my time on on, on traveling. I probably travel over 280 days a year. And the time is being split up in various ways, so... You know, the show itself, the time it takes to shoot and see all 200 people is, I think, about 18 days. Um, so if you look at the show itself along with days off and then promoting the show, uh, that probably takes about uh, two months out of my life. Uh, then I, then I look at my speaking calendar. I probably speak about 40 times, and so you take that another two months and then when you look at operating the, those businesses. I look at every business I invest in that takes an average of a week and a half out of my life and hours um, and then running my current business so my time is spent up you know physically on shark tank probably about you know 15% running the companies about 20 30% speaking 20 30 in my own companies so that's how I break up my time
1: Wow. and uh, in terms of like companies that come into shark tank or that get thrown your way is there a, is there something right now that's exciting you
2: well, you know, it's you know, that's, that's, that's pretty hard for me to say because, you know, when we're in Shark Tank, you know, so for those who don't know, um, the shortest pitch I've ever witnessed is 18 minutes, the longest pitch is in two and a half hours, and many people will only see eight minutes of it, um, but, you know, we get caught up in the moment also, we get very excited about the new category, the new technology, or or how many sales somebody has, because we just we resonate with a lot of the products. You know, we, you know what, what, why we buy into it is first of all the people. Second of all, we see a need for the product out there. If we don't like the people, then we're not going to necessarily invest in the company. We may just go in online and buy the product that day for ourselves at home. Doesn't mean we have to buy everything. And I I never wanted to be in the in the business of food and perishables because I worked at many, many restaurants. I've seen how... You know how, how the high turnover and how things, you know, the the product can spoil, and so many different hands have to get it to somebody to eat, and that person has to like it, with a different taste. And um, but I find that my two most, two of my most successful brands and companies are one called Al Bubble Bakers Boneless Ribs. That are a boneless yeah, rib I, company. I, I, and, I,
0: they're uh, amazing. They're amazing. I, it's, I, I thought that was, such well, a, it was so interesting you invested in that. It's such, they're really good.
2: They are cranking, and I love the people involved in it. I love the product. Uh, boneless rib. Now, women can finally eat ribs without having to mess up their nails or teeth because they can eat with knife they're or fork, really, literally. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. But I'm glad you like them. I'll send you some more. No problem. Um, and the other one is my filet mignon beef jerky uh it's like uh you know a steak in a, in a bag you know a steak you could eat in your car and um and these things are doing really really well i normally wouldn't have invested in those things where, where do i want to be in you know i want to be in technology of course i want to be in um you know fitness products i want to be in all these type of things that i kind of know a little bit of but so i bottom line to sum it up is We have no idea what's coming through the door. We don't get a piece of paper on these individuals. We don't get any information. And tomorrow, something may come through the door that I may think I would never touch, and I will be all over it, and all of a sudden, it's doing well for me. I never thought that I would ever get back into the sock business. You know, I have probably a million units of old Fugle socks that I can't sell sitting somewhere in a warehouse, right? And then these kids come through the door with some things called bamboo socks. They have uh, no no line in the front so it doesn't hurt your toe and I never knew that people collect socks like uh, crack you know I um when I made socks I made them simple white or black I didn't make stripes and stars and banners and bumblebees and you know koalas on them and and this is a whole this is another company that's doing extremely well so to sum it all up I have no idea what I like anymore
0: yeah Bombas is making they're like on everybody's podcast as a sponsor now they're really cool but I so I um, because he's a friend, I, I just I gotta ask you about this. But what what do you think about what happened to Manish with the uh, Pavlok this week? I, I was gonna bring that up. Oh. <laughs> Manish Sethi with the Pavlok.
2: I don't know anything. Uh,
0: you don't? About it. Oh, I thought. Oh, the Pavlok, the uh, the shocking wristband that uh, he was on this past week, and Mark said he was a con artist. He got kind of like he got pretty much thrown off.
2: It would He, he it, oh, the one that shocks your wrist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, I got it. So so I met him he won uh, the Shopify Build the Business competition. So he goes, he he ends up going to Necker Island, and I'm one of the mentors that you get to meet if you win this competition. And he had his product, and he gave it to me. I liked it, Um, but you gotta gotta, gotta understand, I didn't see that episode, I didn't even know about it, because you can't go on the show if we know anything about your business or we know your person, so they put him on the show because they gave him the right. They said, "Okay, you're going on to um, you're going on in the Shark Tank. You're going to meet Damon John out there in Necker Island. We're going to give you permission to go on the show, but you will not be able to go on to a panel where Damon John is going to be on, and Damon John has to sign. Um, I had to sign a confidentiality that I wouldn't tell any of the fellow sharks about it." Kevin O'Leary gave dropped the f bomb.
0: Uh, he basically told him to. He he said, "You're a fucking asshole. Get the fuck out of here." And uh, and then Mar- <laughs> and then Mark said that he was a con artist. I mean, the thing is, is like my. I mean, it's an interesting product, and the, and Manish is a really good hustler. But I I can't imagine it's a good thing to have Mark call you a con artist on national TV.
2: You know what? I, I wore the product for a little while, and actually, I just forgotten that maybe I should go back and wear it now. But um, I like it. I really like it. I don't think he's. I don't think he's a con artist. I think the product is really good. Um, I liked it.
0: No, and I agree. We've I've had him. He's been on the podcast, and I had. I've had. I was actually one of their initial testers, and like, I, I, there's there's a lot of merit to it. I think he just. I think he might have just handled it wrong on the show.
2: Well, yeah, and, and you know, here's, here's something about the show. You know, we're not. And you know, Mark I mean, Kevin called him an asshole, or whatever he said. But we're really not there to judge if the product has merit believe it or not. We're there to judge if the product works for us. Yeah, You know, so, um, because, all right, you would have walked on there, you know, I love you as an example. You'd have walked on there in 08, one of the worst financial times in our history. And you would have said, um, you would have said to us, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a blank. And I'm going to cut two holes in it and call it a Snuggie. Right. What do you think the hell we would have said to you? All right. So, so you know, I've seen plenty of sharks um, go off and do deals with some stuff that I would never ever purchase in my life, like Lori as has purchased these little eyeglass holder things, little metal ball you put on the you you put on the edge of your shirt and it holds it in with magnets because you can now put your reading glass in your pocket. Now I think that's the stupidest thing in history, right? <laughs> I think that. Um, yeah. I've been, listen, I've been putting holes in the corners of shirts like Tommy Bahama and all of us for, you know, the last 20 years. So what the hell, why am I going to add an extra magnet to it? It's going to get lost in the laundry. Well, you know what? Lori, Lori, after $8 million in sales of this crap, who's the one laughing now? Because she already had been selling reading glasses on her QVC, in her QVC outlet for 15 years, and so she's had a built-in customer base. So, so now I'm the idiot, right? But I would have never put that out there. So it takes a, it takes a shark at a right time with the vision to meet a great product with a great with a great entrepreneur, and that's that's the reality of it. So, who cares if Martine or Kevin O'Leary says that you if you're you're someone who believes in your product? You know?
0: that's that's true. I, I mean, hey, I, I, the best example ever, I think, is the the product that supposedly has done the best on Shark Tank, which is the smiley face uh, sponge that's hard and soft. You know, I mean, I yeah, that I don't, I mean. I don't know if a lot of people would have necessarily seen that.
2: <laughs> so, I didn't see it because I was bidding for Lori with it, and I was bidding to just up the price. And then I'm told she's done eighty million dollars worth of it. I mean, Lori is like eighty. Yeah, yeah, it's the most successful.
0: Yeah, it's the most successful product to ever coming on Shark Tank.
2: Wow. Yeah, well, I'm gonna make a little blonde wig spin with my bubblegum. ribs. I hit two hundred million on her, but that's, that might take another year or two. <laughs> All
0: right. So
1: is, is that the is that the biggest upset that you've that you've had on on the show? That one.
2: What the the the, the, spon- the sp- yeah none no the ribs the sponge has been the biggest one that I've lost on on um, the yeah. ribs is going is going to be the biggest upset but I don't you know what I'll be very honest uh, and again my opinion is just my opinion I saw uh, you know I was um, I was in the chair when Mark and uh, Chris Sacker battled it out for uh, technology that allows um, parents to share. teachers to share with parents what their kids are doing in kindergarten all the way up to uh, like fifth or sixth or seventh grade in school and I think this technology was brilliant number one and I think that the players in the game are brilliant the kid who and I forgot the name of it but the kid who who created it and you guys can look it up if you want this is Chris Acker and Mark you can go in on a deal the kid that created it was very smart. Already had proof of concept. Already had it out in a couple of schools. A very secure database that made things it very easy for uh, parents and teachers to communicate. Um, Chris Sacca, known for doing really amazing uh, products to market, such as you know Twitter and uh, Periscope and Instagram deals. So he has the ability to get it out there. And Mark Cuban, of course, needless to say, is brilliant in that Kettler in that same area. I think that thing is going to be a billion dollar company sooner or later. Uh, if those guys messed it up, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself, but they got all the right, the, the whole formula is there. And I think they're going to be a billion dollar shark tank uh, brand.
1: Wow. What's the biggest lesson that you've, that you've learned in business? Like what's, what's the biggest mistake that you, that you've made?
2: The biggest mistakes I've learned, and again, it goes back to the book, and I'm not trying to just hawk the book. It's just the concept of I learned don't throw money at things. I learned figure this thing out. Surround yourself with like-minded people. Um, you know, take affordable steps, you know, um, you know, uh, act, learn, and then repeat, you know, until you, you, you have that level of uh, confidence on what you have. If not, fail quick, you know, fail small, fail fast. And um, and figure it out. Um, whether you call it the power of broke or whether you call it hustle and grind it out first or whatever you want to call it, so that that's really the most important aspect. But if I had to look at other aspects in business, and I can just share a couple of them is trust your gut. You know, you got you got to trust your gut at, at, at a certain point, and you have to trust yourself. Surround yourself with like minded people you know, really be extremely passionate about what you're doing because in the event that you don't make that revenue or make that money that you will enjoy the process. And and a lot of these things you know, I'm kind of glossing over, um, but I can always elaborate on any one of them and, um, find mentors, you know, find people who can help you and don't go out to the, you know, the big time mentors you may see on TV or the law firms or any kind of advertising, go after the local ones, go after the ones that are accessible. Let's say if I could be somebody's mentor, I just told you I travel over 280 days a year to answer my kids. How many, how often am I want them, i going to stay on the phone or I'll go meet somebody for dinner. I don't got time for that. I don't even got time for myself. Right. So I'm of no value as a mentor. But a person that, you know, because we day in the trenches, maybe a professor at a school or maybe somebody who's running an everyday small business in your neighborhood, but they've been, they've been consistent over 20 years and fighting everything from inflation to competition to gas shortages, right, to the recessions. That person knows how to run a business. No matter what you think of that person, because they're not, they may not be Mr. Mark Cuban, right? They are uh, somebody who understands the fundamentals of the business to some extent. Yeah. Well, I so
0: that, it's funny because so our, the last question we always ask, which was which I was about to ask, is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? But you've effectively answered that for us. So thank you. Uh, so <laughs> we're we're gonna have links to everything in the show notes. But if if there's one thing that you want to leave people with, a, a URL to go to a a book, anything, what, what would it be?
2: I mean, I think I think that I have touched on uh, a lot of things, and I want to try to elaborate. Um, I think that the best way that they can be more effective is exactly something you said earlier on. I think that they need to set goals, set set, set benchmarks, and, and and know it what they are. So whether it's a benchmark, like I said, about how much I'm going to invest in the company. So, you know, if you have a partner and you decide we're going to form something together, what's the partner's obligation and what's your deliverables as well? And don't just form the company together. Make it where you can make sure somebody has a buy-in or whether it's time, hours, or whether it's money, right, after a certain point. And you look at it, how are we doing in six months? How are we doing in a year and should we continue? I think you should also do that same thing when it comes to your business. You know, when I was at Red Lobster, I worked there, you know, all day and I said to myself, I'm gonna put in eight hours on FUBU every single week. And after six months, if I like where I'm at, I'm gonna increase it to 16 hours um, every single week. Or, so, so come up with goals, whether it's uh, an amount you're going to hit, an amount you're going to spend until you have to get your job back, Nick, or is it, uh, um, you know, the amount of research you're going to you're going to put in, time, you know, the fact that you're going to call 30 of your friends and ask them all for $1,000 and you're going to see if they're really your friends or not because they're going to crowdfund your, your project and you need the first $30,000 to... Uh, just get your company started. So hit goals, set goals, and um, I think that's one of the most important things. And sometimes uh, the goal is to close up if nothing, if nothing works.
1: I totally agree. And a lot of people like the reason why I did my goal money wise instead of time wise was I I just think the time thing is a little bit silly. Like for me, like I just I reduced my personal burn as much as possible, and I just figured it should be a money thing because if I can reduce my burn and extend it. That's all that really matters. I, yeah, I lo- yeah, I yeah love that. you know
2: what? But look at look what you did. You set another goal. You set a reduce your burn goal instead. I mean, there is there are some couples out there that mean that say, let's go to dinner twice a month instead of seven times a month. Let's start to use one car, and also let's take our food to uh, let's pack our food and go to work every day with it. And we looked at it. And we allocated. We have ten thousand dollars by the end of the year. And if we do that, we are going to have enough for the first set of sites and samples, whatever it is. You know.
1: Yeah, no, I, I was living the life of a trader and I, I downsized to a studio to do the entrepreneur life and cut down
2: my burn. There you go.
0: Well, so Damon, thank you. That was, that was absolutely awesome. And, um, I, you know, I hope we have a chance to, to talk to you again soon. So thank you. Anytime. And thank you guys.